your Bibles, if you would, and let's go to Genesis chapter 4. I think it was, what is that we read? It was who killed one-fourth of the world's population. And his parents were never born. Does anybody know who that is? We've got a few hands going up. And that's our subject of this morning's message. He, ki- he murdered one-fourth of the entire world's population, and his parents were not born. You say, wait a minute, how'd that work? Well, uh, his parents were created. They were not born, Amen. And there were only four people living on the face of the earth at this point, as far as we know. And uh, one of those four people was killed by another one. Let's go to Genesis chapter 4. And so tomorrow, if you want to really freak somebody out, ask them that question and see if they can understand that it was Cain. Uh, Cain was the one. His parents were not born. They were created. And Cain killed one-fourth of the world's population because there were only four people on the face of the earth. And so verse 1, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord, And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel in his offering, but unto Cain in his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, thou shalt... Sorry, if thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Now this is the story of Cain and Abel. We call it out of the Bible. And we'll just pick up in our first slide. Adam and Eve had sinned. Uh, They had eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and now they had knowledge of both good and evil. Remember last week, the devil always tells the truth when he lies. He always tells you what's true, but he tells you in a way that it is not true. And uh, it seems like in America... We have a group of people who have learned that trick exceedingly well. We call them politicians, do we not? Uh, Somebody said, how do you know when a politician is lying? It's real easy, when their mouth is open. And, uh, but as we look, Adam and Eve, Eve sinned, she was deceived. Adam was standing there the whole time listening to everything that was going on and did not, as we would say, lift a finger to stop his wife. Do you wonder why that might be part of the reason God said, Listen, uh, of the woman unto thee shall be, uh, that her desire would be toward her husband, 
And he said, Adam, you're going to take some responsibility. Now, next week is Father's Day, uh, and so get ready. We're going to be talking about that. If there's one thing that men need to do, it is take responsibility, is it not? And uh, that's what happened in the garden. And Adam and Eve, in the process of time, uh, had children. And uh, Cain was the firstborn. And Eve said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Let's go to the second slide there. Now, there's been a lot of, uh, of guesswork and things on this, but I believe there is a connection. If we'll go back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, this is what we call, uh, if you like theological terms, the Proto-Evangelum. This is the before the evangelism. This is the first mention of God's plan of salvation now, let me ask you a question. When Adam and Eve sinned, did God say, Okay, angels, conference time. We've got to figure out what happened. No, our Bible tells us that God's plan was already made before the foundation of the earth. Before God said, Let there be light, He already knew that man would choose sin. Someone said, Well, why did God let that happen? If God knew man would choose sin, why did he let it happen? And the best example I can give you is if you, well, let's, let's, how many here do we have that are hoping to be married someday? You don't have to raise your hand, but Peter's hand was up first. Um, and. I was offering a little bottle of pills. If you could just put one pill in this person's food or drink, they would love you forever. Now, you could choose who was going to do that. That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? How many of you would like that idea? Uh, maybe for a week or two. But what you really want is you want someone who cares about you for who you are. Isn't that true? True love has to go both ways, does it not? I remember while I was uh, dating uh, my wife and in the preparation, I was the, uh, uh, my wife comes from a large family, very well known and, and traveled and did a lot of music in churches. And, and so when it got noised abroad that one of the marshals had fallen prey to the uh, engagement and future marriage, I had a whole bunch of guys coming to me. How did you do it? I'm going to be your brother-in-law someday. I was looking at him going, fat chance. I already know what the sisters have said about you. Um, He said, but how, how does that... I said, it's real simple. It's got to be God's will, you know. If, if He's going to let you know, He'll let her know too. Amen? It's got to go both ways or it's not worth having now, is it? And when we treat one another in such a fashion, and we ought to, there, no one should try to 
force another person to love them or it's got to be real? Why do we treat God like that? Is God so unreasonable? We were created in His image originally, amen? Is God so unreasonable that He would force us to love Him? And if you want one of the reasons why I despise Calvinism, it is because of this very reason right here. It makes God a programmer. And yet, God is not a programmer. God is... 1 John 4, 8, what's the last word? God is what? God is love. And real love is free. Real love goes both ways. Real love is shared between two people who choose to love each other. That's why God made us what we call free moral agents. We choose whom we will care for. And God made Adam and Eve with the choice, knowing that they would choose wrong, but that He had a plan that no man, no woman, no person that ever lived should have to endure a place called hell. God had it all settled before He said, let there be light. And yet the history of mankind is a rejection of God's love, is it not? And the history of God is a continual giving of that love even though people refuse to receive it. And so we have Adam and Eve, and in verse 15, God says, I'm going to put enmity, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed, the seed of the serpent, and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And this is a prophecy in the Scripture. This is a promise that God had given that there was going to be warfare. There was going to be strife. That the seed of the serpent, those who would follow the devil, were going to fight with those who would follow God. And one of these days, there was going to be a man born of a woman who would bruise the head of the serpent. Now, if you get a bruise on your brain, what do we call that? We call that a concussion. And uh, if you get a very serious concussion... We normally call it a brain hemorrhage, and you are dead. Uh, but sometimes it takes a while for that process to work. Do you know the crucifixion is the only means of capital punishment where the heel is bruised? The, the nail is driven in. Through the soft tissue above the or right right at the ankle, and the nail went out below the heel bone, and you rested on the nail that was holding you up with your heel. Now you talk about an infinite amount of pain. That's what the crucifixion was designed. 
God already knew all these things when he said these words in Genesis chapter 3. Now Eve said, I have a man-child. This is the promise of God. Was Cain the promise of God, my friends? No, Cain was the first murderer, wasn't he? Eve had high hopes. But was it God's fault that Cain was the first murderer? No. Let's read on here. In verse 3, it says, And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. Now, where did they get this idea that they were supposed to offer things to God? Is there any verse in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 that says God wanted an offering? No, there's not. So where did they get this idea that they ought to make an offering unto God? Well, at the end of chapter 3, it says that God... I'm sorry. Right there. Okay, there it was. I was looking right at it and didn't see it. Verse 21. And unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Now, the Bible is full of what we call pictures or types. Um, this is where a real event a real process of events was put together in such a way as to illustrate or help us see a deeper truth that goes through the Bible. Now, you have to be very careful when you start walking into types. You end up like Harold Camping, uh, totally nuts. Uh, I think it was a, a guy named Bullinger wrote a book on types in the Bible and uh, it really should have said, Mr. Bullinger in need of psychiatric medication. Uh, people go crazy when it comes to types. In fact, I, the newest one I got was someone had written uh, this proofs that the Bible is the Word of God. And it says gasoline was mentioned in the Bible. It says they will burn the weapons with the fuel of fire somewhere. And see, the fuel of fire is gasoline. We know that today, so God must have been talking about gasoline, right? Uh, go home, make an appointment with your doctor, and, and get things straightened out. That is not what we're talking about biblical types in the Bible. Here is one. Let me illustrate what happened to those animals that God made the coats of skins out of? Anybody want to take a venture? Did the animals live or die, Philip? They got sacrificed. There we go. He's ahead of me. Uh, God killed those animals in the presence of Adam and Eve. He took the skins off the outside of those animals and made a covering for that. By the way, when we get to the tabernacle, the priest that offered the sacrifice received the skin of the offering. 
for his personal uses, whatever he decided to use, uh, that as what happened to the bodies of the animals. It doesn't say here, but we have Cain and Abel bringing a sacrifice to God. It's not too far of a stretch to say that God sacrificed those animals. He consumed their bodies on an altar with fire. He took the skins of those animals and He made coverings. And here we see the type. It is the death of the innocent that covers the shame of the guilty. The Bible word is atonement. The word atonement means the rolling back. The New Testament word is redemption. That is the purchase Christ paid, the buying back. The blood of the innocents do not pay for sins. They do not erase sins. But it was a way that God made that man could see and understand that it took the sacrifice of the innocent, the blood of the sinless, animals don't sin, to roll back the penalty of God's wrath and judgment until the day the purchase price was paid by Jesus Christ. Could we say amen to that? Now, what we have here is something that happened often in the Scriptures, and we're just going to stay right here on this slide for a few minutes. Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering before the Lord. I had a Bible college professor. The only time I ever publicly disagreed in class was I had a professor that said, well, maybe God didn't accept Cain's offering because it wasn't a tithe. And I, I wanted to ask him a question. Professor Walker, what have you been smoking? Amen. Uh, because that is not in the Scriptures. God asked for a tithe later. Genesis 14. But again, let's not mix up the type that God is painting here. God used the life of Cain. What did Cain bring to God? The work of his hand. Did those fruits and vegetables grow by themselves and just Cain went out and picked them? No. Cain was a gardener. He was a farmer. And let me tell you, there is a difference between someone who knows how to raise crops and plant a garden and someone who pretends to plant a garden. How many of you have seen the difference just walking around Astoria? Uh, I mean, you can see people who have little gardens there and everything's growing up spindly and weak and they never get any real corn or never get any... I mean, it'll make a few little tomatoes. And But when somebody knows what they're doing, boy, you can take a very little piece of ground and grow an awful lot of stuff on it. Cain brought the best that his work could produce. And I would probably tell you that it may have been more than a tithe. We don't know what the quality, the quantity was, but I'll tell you the quality would have had to have been top-notch. It would have been better than anything you and I have ever seen. Cain used all of his effort 
Abel brought a different offering. He took a firstling of the lamb, a little baby lamb. And this is not a pretty picture, but crucifixion isn't a pretty picture. Sin is not a pretty picture. He took that baby lamb and he slit the juggler vein and opened up the blood and 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 uh, dressed that animal and put its body on an altar of wood and poured out the blood uh, of that animal. It tells us with the blood thereof and the fat thereof. Now the fat that it's speaking of, we go into the books of Exodus and Leviticus and that's talking about the fat that is stored in the entral cavity there uh, that was offered unto the Lord. And it says that God didn't respect Cain. But God respected Abel. Now there's an awful lot of talk today about respect. He dissed me. Get over it. Amen. But Did you get the words here? It said that God had respect unto Abel's offering. It said that God paid attention. When we use this word respect, it means to give honor to, to give a place to, to give special attention to. It says that God took notice of what Abel had done. But when Cain tried to get that same notice, God was absolutely silent. God had nothing to say about Cain's offering. How many of you would like God to have respect unto what you do in your service for Him? I mean, be like God to have respect into your prayers. This is what Scripture is talking about. God is introducing something. He wants to be involved in your life here. He wants to give you respect, credit. We always say, "No, nobody gives me credit for what I accomplish." Well, that's that's life. I mean, even Bill Gates is smart enough to figure out life isn't fair. Get over it, right? I think that's his first rule or something like that. But Abel, God had respect into his offering. God wants to be actively involved in your life and what you do. So God tells Cain a few things. God comes to Cain again, his love, verse 6. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? In our house, no more pouting. That little bottom lip comes out. You know, hey, get rid of that thing. God said, Cain, why are you upset? Why are you angry? 
Why are you depressed? Why, why is your countenance fallen? Let me give you the answer, Cain. In verse 7 it says, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? God said, Listen, Cain, you understand what's right to do. And if you do what's right, will you not be accepted? God saying, listen, Cain, here's the standard. It's the blood of the innocents. And if you'll bring that to me, you're going to be accepted. Now look what else he says. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. Now there's an awful lot of Again, surmisals and guesstimations on this, but it's very, very simple when we take just what the Bible says. He said, if you don't do well, sin lieth at the door. Now, first time I read that, I thought, that must mean if we do wrong, sin is lying at the door and it's going to catch me. Anybody else ever think about that? But that doesn't make sense according to the text because if you're doing wrong, you've already sinned. Right? Hello? We still together here? Wake up. It's Sunday school. We'll be done in a few minutes. Then we'll get to the long time, right? Listen. If you're not doing well, you're already sinning. So it's not more sin that's going to catch you. Look at the last phrase and it will give us a clue here. It says, And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. He's saying, As the eldest, as the firstborn son, you're going to be the one that's going to be in charge of your family. You're going to be the one that's going to be the leader. And your brother is going to follow you. Now, Abel was already righteous, and he already had God's respect. How was Cain going to get that same respect that his younger brother Abel already had and be Abel's leader in that very thing of God's respect, he was going to have to take care of his sin problem, his not doing well. Amen? So the word sin there, if we would look at and it is used other ways in this Bible, in, in your King James Bible, it's talking about the sacrifice for sin. You see, when the Bible says Jesus was made sin for us who knew no sin, it doesn't mean that he became an adulterer and a fornicator and a murderer and a, all these horrible things that people do. He was made the sacrifice for sin. He was made the solution for sin, just like God told Abel, uh, Cain here. He said, listen, Cain. If you mess up, if you don't do well, there's a sacrifice that's lying at the door there, and all you have to do is offer it. And so what did Cain do? Let's go to the next slide. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. Now Cain murdered Abel because God had respect unto Abel's offering and he refused to accept Cain's. Could I tell you that this is the history of false religion? 
Why does the religion of Islam go around killing people? Same reason King killed England. Why did the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages murder so many hundreds of thousands of people who refused to bow their knee to the power of the Pope and the armies of Rome? Uh, same reason Cain killed Abel. Why are the Hindus killing the Buddhists in northern India? Uh, same reason Cain killed Abel. Why is 90% of the wars in the history of mankind of a religious origin? Uh, same reason Cain killed Abel. You see, if you're not going to go back to the God of the Bible and make things right between you and God, there's something inside of man that feels guilty and feels like he's not right. And so there, you've got one of two things. You either admit the Bible is right and submit to its authority, or you end up fighting against it. All of this is happening in the first four chapters of your Bible. The die of mankind's history has been set. The evil will always persecute the good. What does the writer of Hebrews tell us? It says that as far as God is concerned, Abel gave a good testimony. And Abel, even though he's dead, he still speaks that we should follow the commands and the direction of of God. Amen? But these were, Cain and Abel were real people. These are not made up stories. They're not figurative. Now let's go down and let's finish this thing. In verse 9, let's go to our last slide. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? How many times have you heard the Bible quoted there? Uh, a friend of mine preached a sermon uh, on. You're going to, if you speak English, you will quote the King James Bible. And let me tell you something, you will. It's too much of a part of the English language not to. And, uh, but we don't have time for that this morning. We've got about two minutes left. And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which has opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. He said, the work of your hands, what you brought to me, I'm going to destroy. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, here we go, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Oh, how many times have I heard that around my household? Dad, you're too mean. Are, are you really going to do that to me? My punishment is greater than I can bear. Be careful. Don't line up with Cain. Amen? Our punishment should be eternal separation from God in a place called hell. But God forgives us if we will come to Him and submit to Him. Amen? But the world always complains. Those in rebellion always complain that the punishment is too bad, is too steep for the crime. 
And God set a mark on Cain. How many of you have ever heard of the mark of Cain? Uh, can I explain that very quickly? The mark of Cain belonged to Cain, and when he died, it was gone. Don't take it any farther than that. And if you hear anybody starting to talk about the mark of Cain did this and their descendants, all of Cain's descendants were killed in the flood. It is people using this portion of the Bible for their own wicked intent. And then we have a strange little story for which purposely we do not have any slides for this morning. But one of Cain's descendants, named Lamech in verse 19, he married two wives. And by the way, where did Cain get his wife? Well, Adam and Eve were having more than just two children. And the earth was populated from one family. And that's as simple as it gets. But he took two wives and he murdered two people. And in verse 24, this is Lamech's testimony. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech, seventy and sevenfold. It's simply this. Lamech thought that sin brought him protection. And is that not what is going on in our world today? I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to hire me one of them psychics to protect me from all the curses. Uh, excuse me, you're just bringing another one on you. Stay away from that stuff. Get into the Word of God. You want to protect yourself from the devil? Just get close to God, and I promise you, he won't bother you. That's how simple it is. You can't protect yourself by plotting and planning. I don't care how smart you are. God is smarter. God will bring the work of your hands to naught, just as he did with Cain. Sin does not offer protection. It only brings more destruction. Let's serve God His way. That means it's submission of myself to what God has already said in His Word. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before You this morning. We ask that You would take our time together and that You would help us, encourage us in Your service. In Your name we pray. Amen. All right, we've got about two minutes before the morning service should begin. with him. It is glory just to walk with him whose blood has ransomed me. It is rapture for my soul each day. It is joy divine to feel him near wherever my path may be. Bless the Lord his glory all the
shadows fall to know that he is near oh what joy to simply trust and pray it is glory to abide in him when skies above are clear yes with him is glory all the Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the freedom that we can assemble together in your name. We ask now that you would take each part of this service. Remind us, Lord, that we are singing for you. We are singing these songs in worship to you. Let us lift up our full hearts. We pray for the preaching that you would be lifted up. And, Lord, the time of invitation that we would surrender what is lacking in our lives, that you may have full sway and use us more to bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing. All right, now let's turn to 637, 637, only a sinner, 637. Not have I gotten but what I received, grace has bestowed it.
Amen. And now let's turn to 345, 345, grace greater than our sin. this morning we have special trios so listen closely and let the words prepare your heart as we get ready for the preaching
glad that you have that gift of grace living in your soul today. Could you say amen again? That wasn't a very good one. Let's try that again. If you're saved and you're glad, say amen. amen. That's a little better. Okay. We'll have to let Peter give us some lessons on saying amen, I think. And um, But uh, I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Proverbs chapter 11. And uh, this is where we're going to start this morning, Proverbs chapter 11. We've been in somewhat of a series, though it's not really, uh, uh, was not designed that way, but on the simplicity that is in Christ. We start in in, uh, Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus said, Except ye be converted and become as little children. And so often... Of course, let me finish that verse. She shall not enter into the kingdom of God. There is so often religion becomes very complex. And of course, one of my favorite statements to go back to, and I hope you don't get tired of hearing it because it's one that I need to remind myself of often, is life gets complicated when we refuse simple answers. When we take the simple answers that are in God's Word, life becomes very plain. It's not a complicated process. It is not something that only the ultra-wise can get through. It is something that God has meant to give us and give us more abundantly. That's what He said. I've come to give you life and that life more abundantly. And we miss out on that abundant life. We miss out on that joy because we refuse the simplest things that are in God's Word. This morning I'd like to preach about simple soul winning. Now, I get a little weary. In fact, I get a little fearful even using that phrase because in certain circles this idea of soul winning is somewhat akin of uh, the old Western movies. Uh, I met a guy one time, and he had to show me this picture of himself, and he was witnessing to a statue. Now, of course, it was meant to be a joke. But there's always a little bit of truth in a good joke now, isn't there? And see, the truth of his idea of soul winning was soul winning was all about him and his efforts, and his ability, and he was even reaching out to this point of of, uh, hyperbole where the joke was that he could lead a statue to the Lord. Uh, That borders on blasphemy in my book. Uh, In God's book too, amen? And where they get that phrase, uh, the idea of this term soul winning is Proverbs chapter 11 in verse 30, and I want us to read this thing together here. Uh, You read silently as I read aloud, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Now, often in the Proverbs, Proverbs, of course, is part of Hebrew poetry, and 
In Hebrew poetry, they do not rhyme words like we do in English poetry. They rhyme thoughts. They rhyme ideas. And sometimes those words, those ideas are built one upon the other. They're put in a, 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 a term of progress. Other times, it is just a restatement of the same thing a little different way. And sometimes it's actually opposing ideas that are put together in such a way as to make you think more deeply about a subject than you normally would with just putting the words in what we would call normal syntax in order. And so this idea here is the the writer of the book of Proverbs was Solomon, and he says the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And, of course, we could spend the whole morning on the first phrase of this verse and, and talk about how that the things that occur in a righteous man's life brings life to other people. You see, righteousness is the only way to live life. Amen? And as you live righteously, what are you going to do? You're going to encourage other people to live righteously. The answers are in obedience to God's Word. You cannot improve on what God has said In His Word. It's not possible. And if you want the best for your life, if you want that life more abundantly that Jesus promised, you need righteousness. But the key to that second half of the verse is the first half. I met a person one time who gave this testimony. Actually, it was to my wife said, you know, I I haven't been able to read my Bible regularly in weeks. It's just been so busy. And and my prayer life isn't what it ought to be. But, you know, I won five souls last week, so I must be doing okay. It doesn't say, he that winneth souls is wise, and the the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. It says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. If you can win souls without being righteous, you're not winning souls to God. The righteousness has to come first. But if the righteousness of God is bearing fruit in your life, you ought to be winning souls. We didn't get a big amen on that one. And you know why? The most difficult task to accomplish in this life is the winning of a soul. This is not child's play. If you want to see God working in your life, ask God to help you win a soul to Him. Now, please, do not raise your hand. We're not here to embarrass anyone in any fashion this morning. But if you know the joy of winning a soul to Christ, you know there is no greater joy in this life 
Amen. That is the greatest accomplishment. That is God working through you to touch the life of someone else. I've been privy to and studied and and have heard about many quote-unquote soul-winning programs. By God's grace, as long as I'm the pastor of this church, we will not have a soul-winning program in our church because soul-winning is not a program. It's not something that you can do, step one, step two, pray after me, and that person is saved. Uh, I want us to look at what salvation is first, and then I want us to look at what our part is. Uh, I, I met a guy one time, he says, you know, conviction is the key to salvation. He says, and I pray that God will convict that soul, and he answers my prayer every time. I said, well, wait a minute. I said, there's only one problem with that. Who has now become the key to the winning of souls? It is your prayers, not the work of God in the heart of an individual. And we're not interested in notches on a gun belt. I know a fellow that has claimed he has a church in a large metropolitan area. I'm not going to tell you where it is, but he claims for the last 25 years over 100,000 souls led to Christ in his church for the last 30 or 40 years. I mean, last 25 years he's been there, I'm sorry. You start adding that up, that's 2.5 million conversions. Uh, I'd say he's on record or on online to have the most conversions documented of any man in history. And they have a great crowd show up Sunday morning between four and 5,000 people. But do you get the idea between 2.5 million conversions and 4,000 people? There's a little disparity there somewhere. You see, salvation is not praying a prayer. Salvation is not just assenting in your mind that God exists and that He is the highest of all the gods and He is the only one that we should worship. Salvation is not simply understanding that Jesus died on the cross for you. Salvation is not just a good feeling in your heart. The most quoted verse of all the Scripture. For God so loved the world. Say it with me. That He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Salvation is simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But mankind has made that simple truth so complicated it's almost impossible to do today. I hope we don't have anyone here who was swayed and worried about uh, Mr. Camping's prediction of the world ending on May 21st. 
And in typical camping style, as he did in 1994, which I remember very well, I miscalculated. You see, in 1994, it was supposed to happen on September 21st, and then it was October something or other, then it was November something or other, and and Mr. Camping was strangely silent from November of 1994 until he began his new crusade for May of 2011, which has ended now. It's now October of 2011. We got five months reprieve. Uh, Can I tell you the world will not end? In October, it's not possible. The scriptures must be fulfilled. And Mr. Camping has no clue as to what the scriptures say. I've also heard him on his radio programs say, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and pray and believe that God and demand that God saves you, you're adding works to your salvation. Well, let me tell you something. If you believe what Mr. Camping says about salvation, you've got a one-way trip, and it isn't to heaven, my friend. Because the Bible says that we are to call upon the name of the Lord. It says that He will save you right now. Salvation is not a process. Salvation is an event. It's being born again. How many of you know what your birthday is? You can raise your hand. I'm not asking you ladies for your birthday, okay? Maybe month and day, but I'm not stupid. I'm not asking the year of anybody in here. Amen? Listen. You know your birthday. And when one of those little babies walks through the door, everybody goes, They all want to see that new little baby. Babies are wonderful things. But no one ever says, Was that baby born? No, they want to know when it was born, what minute it was born, how many pounds and ounces, and how long the labor was, and and if the baby had all that hair when it was born, or if it grew in overnight, and I mean, all these little things, and as they get a little older, how many teeth they have or don't have, and and all the little things that babies do. Babies are wonderful things, are they not? How many of you have ever seen a 45-year-old baby? Say, preacher, this is church. I'm not admitting to that. We've all met them. 45-year-old babies are not cute. In fact, in the physical realm, there are such things, and they are deformities of nature. That's it's it's a very pitiful and sad thing to see and behold a child that was born that did not develop properly. Isn't that true? But why, when we talk about this issue of salvation, do we go around having to figure out whether someone was really born or not born again or not? Why do we as Christians sometimes doubt our own salvation? No sane human being looks in the mirror and says, Was I born? The answer is rather obvious. Amen? You are there. 
Now, Jesus in John chapter 3, and we don't have time to go through it all this morning, but he likened the spiritual birth to the physical birth. Why then do we have all of this problem trying to figure out whether somebody's been born again or not? If the spiritual birth is like the physical birth, it's simply because we're defining the spiritual birth in many different terms than we do the physical birth. No, you do not need to remember the exact moment, the clothes that you wore, the thoughts that you thought uh, when you got saved. But let me tell you something. You better know that there was a time when you met the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and you humbled your heart and surrendered yourself to His control. That's what the Bible means when it says that if thou shalt confess the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you surrender everything in you and every part of you? No, you're a human being. That process takes time. God does not save you based upon your sincerity. If sincerity was the measure of truth, I would say Osama bin Laden's got a lock on that thing, wouldn't you? He was pretty sincere in what he believed. Was he not? You say, you're saying that just to shock me. I doubt there's one of us in here that would stand up and say, I'm as sincere as, uh, about believing in my Bible as he wasn't believing in killing Americans. Let's get real here. If you really believe this book, why doesn't it change the way we live? You say, well, I'm a human being. I'm trying. Welcome to the human race. Amen. The difference between the unsaved and the saved is the saved person when he fails at being obedient to the Scripture, goes back to the God of the Scriptures and seeks his forgiveness. And then by God's grace gets up and keeps going in the same direction he was heading when he fell. Can we say amen to that? That's not a pretty picture, but that is a real picture of walking with the Savior. If you can plug in your Christianity... And say, hey, it's getting a little tense here. Preacher's getting a little pressure. I'm going to just unplug for a few minutes. I'm going to take a break. That is not Bible salvation. Bible salvation is the best thing that will ever happen to you. It will change the way you think. It will change the direction of your heart. It will change everything about you. And when you do fail and falter in this life, it will drive you back to the very God that saved you because it's the only place you can find forgiveness. And by the way, may we just add in there that it is very difficult to serve the Savior without being a part of His body, which is the local church. That's why we're here. We assemble together on Sunday mornings to worship God and to encourage one another to stay in the battle, 
until Jesus takes us out. Amen? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. A simple soul winner preaches a simple salvation. But how many of you have ever bought one of those computers for dummies book? Or finances for dummies? Or English grammar for dummies? Or one of the, I mean, it's one of those books that's supposed to make complicated things simple. And you get through two or three chapters and you realize that the author made it very simple, that's for sure, but about 80% of the important stuff you need to make it work wasn't in the book. You ever had that problem? That's what a lot of people do with soul winning. You see, a simple soul winner gives the message that Jesus gave, follow me. If you're willing to accept the Savior and unwilling to follow Him, let me explain something to you. That's not Bible salvation. We have a new type of worship and religion out there where you give up nothing. All we do is, in fact, some churches actually meet in the bar. They rent it out for Sunday morning. And, of course, all the liquor's on the back shelf because you're not supposed to get drunk in church, but you can stare at it while you're hearing the message being preached. You see, we want to make people comfortable with God. That is not the message of the Scriptures. God's not here to make you comfortable. If you've ever had a life-threatening disease, if you've ever dealt with cancer, chemo is not comfortable. Surgery is not comfortable. But let me tell you something, if you don't have the surgery and you don't have that terrible treatment, uh, you do have one other option. And it's not really the one that uh, most of us ought to be making. My grandfather always told me, he said, Pete, don't get old. I said, Granddad, there's only one problem with that. He said, what's that? I said, the other option is dying, and I don't think God's ready yet. I'm going to keep living. And we need to live until Jesus comes back. And if we'll suffer some of those uncomfortable situations so that our human body can go on living, don't you think we ought to suffer some uncomfortable spiritual situations so that we can serve the Savior? God doesn't want you to be comfortable with your sin. Because until you are willing to drop everything and embrace only the Savior, you've never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. God doesn't want your talents 
and your abilities. What did Paul, probably one of the most learned and able men who have ever served the God of this Bible, read Philippians chapter 3, he says, and do, count, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Paul had to turn his back on all of his education and all of his accomplishments in this life. He had to turn his back on his degrees. He had to turn his back on everything that he had done up until the point he met the Savior on the road to Damascus. He had to go to school again. Read the book of Galatians. He spent three years learning of Jesus. Salvation is simply believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, but it means getting rid of everything else. You can't have Jesus and your church. You can't have Jesus and your heritage. You can't have Jesus and your good works. You can't have Jesus and anything else. I love to tell people as they come and say, well, what do I need to do to become a member of Open Door Bible Baptist Church? Well, number one, you've got to get the issue of salvation saved because this church can do you no good till you're saved first. Because church doesn't give you salvation. Only Jesus does. Then you've got to be baptized the Bible way. That means baptized in a church that teaches what the Bible teaches. You say, but I got baptized. But you got saved here. Baptism comes after salvation, not before. Amen? But, but I got saved and I got baptized, but our church doesn't quite teach the Bible the same way you do here. Well, is it that big of a deal to get baptized in public identification with Jesus and just what the Bible teaches? It ought not be. Amen? And the third thing goes without even saying, but we have to say it today because we live in an age of eclectic truth, uh, meaning that I get to pick what parts of truth I want instead of all of it. God doesn't give us a smorgasbord to decide what parts we want and what parts we don't want. It's all or nothing. The third part is continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's what we're striving to do at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. And let me tell you something. If you get saved, if you get saved the Bible way, baptism ought not be an issue for you. Following in the apostles' doctrine ought not be an issue for you. It ought to be a journey. Whatever the Bible says, that's what I want to do. You see, a simple salvation is giving your life to Christ, period. You say, well, how do I protect myself from all of the freakazoids out there and people who will take advantage of me and, and do cruel things to me? Let me tell you, religion has done more hurtful things to more people than anything else in existence today. Here's your safeguard. It better be written down. Amen? If it's not written down, then don't do it. You know, one of the challenges that, that, we, that I make often from the pulpit is one of the differences between our church and many others is 
You go home and read the Bible for yourself. And if you can't see in the Bible what I was preaching, then you need to come and talk to me because one of the two of us is wrong. Now, I've had many people come and talk, and there's been a few occasions where I've said something that uh, my mouth was saying one thing and my mind was thinking another. I put Moses on the ark, and of course he was never there. Uh, And uh, I said Abraham did something that Abraham didn't do, somebody else did. I mean, every once in a while, something will come out that's not quite right. And somebody said, I remember what you said. You said, I said that. Yeah. I said, well, we better go get the tape and make sure. Uh, Because I'm capable of misstating things as a human being. But I work hard and pray hard that I don't. Because what we need is the Scriptures. That's salvation. There are many more people think they're going to heaven than will actually get there. That's why Jesus in His own teaching said, Straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And what's the next phrase? And few there be that find it. You know what a soul winner is? It's somebody that helps others find the straight gate. That's what a soul winner is. How many of you remember what Jesus told the disciples? Peter and James and John, they were all fishermen. And he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Now some people have taken that to the extreme. And they said, now listen, if you're going to go fishing, you got to fish where the fish are. Well, how are you supposed to know where the fish are? Well, you get one of those little, um, what do they call them? Fish finder radars, and you put it in your boat, and it's supposed to tell you where the fish are. Anybody ever seen one of those? And I remember being out with Brother Horton, and he says, there's a big one right there. Sure enough, this big line was slimming across the, the, the stream. But I'll tell you what, we've, we've never caught the big one. In fact, i got enough problems catching the little ones. You know, I caught one. It was about that far from the boat the other day, right? But uh, listen, don't get caught up in what baits you're supposed to use and casting techniques and all of this foolishness. They fished with a net. They threw it in the water and they pulled it back. That's all they did. Here's your net. Cast it on the water and keep pulling it back. You want soul winning techniques? Use the Scriptures. Give people the Word of God. Yes, Tell what Jesus has done in your life. But don't tell what the devil did before what Jesus did. Remember listening to many testimonies. I was this and I was that and I did this and I did that. And you couldn't believe how evil I was and all the wicked things that I did. And Jesus saved me and everybody's going, yay! Hey, could I tell you something? The greatest testimony I've ever heard 
for someone that said, I was raised in a Christian home and I gave my life to Christ and I never did any of those things. Isn't that a far greater testimony? Use your life for Christ. That's what it means. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And we're winning souls to Christ, not to us. It is God that does the work of saving. Now just a few minutes and we'll be done. It says, He that winneth souls is wise. Now a simple soul winner is one that preaches a simple message of salvation. That is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and get rid of everything else. The getting rid of everything else, that can be quite complicated. That's why it normally takes more than just one talk to a person to have them come to the Savior. I've often told people, said, listen, you're saved by grace through faith. Grace you have, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. The problem is faith. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So the problem is you need to be under the Word of God. So I invite you to come to church because every service we preach the Word of God. Amen? Read the Bible to people. If they'll let you read the Bible to them, you can witness to them. You don't need somebody's book. You need God's book. The more Scripture you use, the better off you are because it will be God doing the work, not you. My part is casting the net. Amen? Given the Scripture. My part is helping them to find that narrow gate. And Jesus said, strive to enter in at that narrow gate. It says there's many that's going to try to enter in there at, and they're not going to be able. You just stand by the gate. You say, you know what? You're going to have to drop that knapsack of worldly ability. You're going to have to get rid of that self-worth. You're going to have to get rid of that self-esteem that you spent $300 an hour at the psychiatrist trying to build. Amen? Find your self-worth in the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason I'm somebody is because He loved me. doesn't get any simpler than that now, does it? It's helping them get close enough to God that they will choose God to save them. Amen? Now, it says, He that winneth souls is wise. So how can we be wise? Well, number one, you can be wise by having righteousness in your life. I never will forget the night, as long as God gives me memory. I was witnessing to my co-workers. I worked in a nursing home while I was a student in Bible college. And it was just an unusual night. Most of the time, the conversation would be all kinds of horrible things. And, and uh, you know, I would speak up and say a few things and it would get real quiet. Well, tonight, this night, I had the floor. Everyone that was there was listening to me explain to them what the Bible meant in being saved. 
then one of my coworkers lit her third or fourth cigarette, took a long drag, and just filled the air full of smoke and says, yeah, you got to listen to Preacher Pete. He knows what he's talking about. Let me tell you something. That was the end of the conversation. Because everybody knew about her and her life. And if she claimed to have what I had, they didn't want it. You see, it's the fruit of the righteous that is the tree of life. If you're going to be wise, you've got to start out with righteousness in your life. Amen? Uh, if you're going to be wise, you have to prepare your life to tell others about what Jesus has done. Would you listen to someone who was obviously living the life of a homeless person tell you about the goodness of their God and how much He had done for them? That'd be a little strange now, wouldn't it? But sometimes we as Christians walk through this life as if we have given up great things to become a servant of Jesus Christ. I could have been a millionaire if it hadn't been for the fact that I became a preacher. Hogwash. I gladly give up the money of this world to stand behind this pulpit and preach the truth of God. If I wanted money, I could have it. But I don't. I want righteousness. Because when I stand before God, none of that other stuff's going to matter. Let's look at one more verse here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. We'll read down through verse 11. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Paul is saying the same thing that Solomon said, just in a little different way. He says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, knowing that each one of us is going to have to stand before God. We're going to have to give an account of everything that we have done in our bodies, whether it's good or whether it's bad. Talking about the two judgments. If you've put your life under the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ, you're going to be judged for your service for Christ. If you've refused what Jesus Christ has done, you're going to be under judgment of God for your works. Difference between Cain and Abel if you were here for Sunday school. Because God knows what's going on in your heart whether you can fool everyone or not. 
But if you're real on the inside, you're going to be real on the outside. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Get real with your relationship with God. Teach the simple truth of Bible salvation. That it changes everything about you forever. Amen? And then, you can't push somebody through the gate, but you can help them off with the obstacles and the baggage and the burdens they're carrying that that are prohibiting or keeping them from going through the gate. Amen? You can't make somebody get saved, but you can keep throwing the bread on the waters because it's going to come back. Don't win someone to you. Win them to Jesus. And then, in spite of our humanity, we'll enjoy heaven together. I've often said this, and I'm going to say it again. If each adult member of our church could ask God to give them one soul before the end of the year, we wouldn't be able to get everybody in the auditorium. We just wouldn't. Because if you really got that serious about one, you might mistakenly get two or three. Wouldn't that be an awful thing? Because God's plan of growth is multiplication. If you win one who wins one, wow. Now, we have to remember what the Scripture says. Few there be that find it. That's why we're not looking for notches on our gun belt or all of these numbers and we don't give an award for the best soul winner in the church and all of these things. We're not going to have a program. We want biblical soul winning. Simple soul winning. That means you must prepare your heart to tell others. That's living God's righteousness and understanding His judgment. Pray about opportunities. Amen? And don't give up on anybody till they get saved or they die. One of the two. As long as they're alive, you keep giving them scriptures. That's as simple as I know how to make it. Salvation is simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's getting rid of all that other garbage that gets complicated. But once you do, how many remember when you finally broke through and trusted Jesus and He knew He saved you forever? Wasn't that wonderful day? And wouldn't it be more wonderful? The only thing better than getting saved is helping somebody else get saved. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that You would help us to be simple in our soul winning. Lord, we 
do not want to be totally reactionary, but we do want to be very careful that we obey your word and obey it alone. We ask you to work in our hearts that we would take this simple message that saved us to the world in which we believe. That you would give us the patience that we need as we watch the Word of God peel away the veneers of pride and selfishness and deception and self-deception till we get down to the meat, the issue, the heart, where the Word of God does the work. Lord, we pray that you would work in our hearts and lives, that we may be wise and win souls to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together this morning.